Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, figuring out what some recent test scores mean for Mississippi students. Then a conversation on policing black neighborhoods in the current social climate with the sheriff of Hines County. I have met personally with the men and women on the road, our patrol deputies, and they have to work with one another, but they also have to work with the public. The guys have to realize that we are one team. There's no I in team. Later, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on choosing to live in the Magnolia State. And state gambling revenues are up slightly over this last time, over this last summer. Is the industry warming up? That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Nearly a third of Mississippi students did not pass the state's new math and English assessment known as the MAP test. The test was given to students for the first time last May. It measures how well students are doing in grades 3 through 8, as well as Algebra 1 and English 2. Data suggests that most students were able to pass the test, but Superintendent of Education Kerry Wright says teachers and districts need to concentrate on helping the state's poorest performers. The Department of Education also has to decide on the cut scores for the new test or exactly where the scores for students fall. Wright speaks with MPB's Paul Boger. Anytime you um, go to a brand new test that does not have its own cut scores, and I say that because there may be a state that goes to a new test that's already been out there, been working, you know, already had its cut scores, just like we did with Park, right? Park came out last year. They'd already set their cut scores. We didn't change the cut scores. We used the cut scores. But when you develop a brand new assessment, you have to wait then for the impact data to come back and to pull those groups of teachers in that we did to say, okay, you take the test. How much of this do you think a child's going to have to know to learn, you know, to be in order to be proficient versus even the passing part of it? And so um, that's a whole process that you get a group of educators who've been teaching the standards, which is one of the things that, that we key on because the assessment is aligned to all the standards. So if you've been teaching these standards and the students have been learning the standards and now here are the test results, what makes sense to you? And you heard Chris Domaleski on the phone because Chris is one. Uh, Dr. Domaleski is um, nationally known uh, in this area, and he's the one that oversaw the process along with um, other national people that we brought in uh, just to make sure that, you know, when we set the, the levels, one, two, three, four, five, that they would be um, they'd be just. In other words, that there would be a, a you know, a strong rationale. And it's a, it's a, it's a national um, research-based process that's used, it's, but it's only used typically with brand new uh, assessments. Likewise, remember when we did um, the kindergarten, no, third grade gate, right? So the third grade gate was out there. We had not done um, a standard setting for what would have been the pass based on what the statute read. So we pulled all these educators back in, 
went through the same kind of process. They established a cut, and then that became the cut that the third graders had to pass in order to um, go on to fourth grade. We talk about cut scores a lot. So what are exactly what exactly are cut scores? It's, if you're looking at, I, I think he said on, uh, Dr. Bodwin said on grade three is what I was thinking about. I want to say there were f- um, 58, 59 items, I want to say, if memory serves. And then I think the cut for level five was cut at 47. In other words, so meaning you had to have 47 right out of that 50 eight, whatever it was, in order to be at a level five. So it's it sets a it's kinda like setting for A, B, C, D, E. It's exactly the same thing. So we typically in a you know in a ten point scale, if it's ninety and above it's an A, if it's eighty to eighty nine it's a B. It's the same idea, except now you're doing it around performance levels and what children are know and able to do at each of those levels. But it's a similar kind of idea. MPB's Paul Boger with State Superintendent of Education, Carrie Wright. Up next, a conversation on policing black neighborhoods in the current social climate with the Sheriff of Hines County. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. More than two centuries ago, the first American president took office. And next year, the 45th will take office. Follow history in the making. Right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Hi, I'm Sherita Brent. On In Legal Terms, the focus is always you and your rights. From Miranda rights to civil rights, our legal experts will inform you of your right to do or not to do according to the law. Join us Tuesday mornings at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Most of us have seen the videos of the recent police-involved shootings across the country, as well as the attacks on police in Dallas and Baton Rouge that left officers dead. The incidents have raised tensions for law enforcement and communities of color. In Hines County, Sheriff Victor Mason oversees a department that enforces the law in some of these communities. He tells us being an African-American law enforcement official comes with special challenges. As you know, and as you can see, I am black. Also, I wear the badge, so I have to live two lives. Uh, I have to have compassion for both sides. And um, the thing that I struggle with daily is to wonder where is it going to happen next? Who is it going to happen to? You know, and I pray that it doesn't happen here. I pray that it, that it doesn't even happen anymore. Um, but it's it's um, something we have to deal with as administrators every day. You are Hines County's second black sheriff. Yes. What is the racial makeup of your staff? First of all, how many deputies do you have? Sworn on the road, 168. How many are black compared to white? I would say um, probably out of the 168, maybe because I try to reflect on the county, um, probably about 72 black, um, the majority of them. And any other minorities? Do you have any Asian, Hispanic? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. We don't. Um, we we have a very diverse group. Uh, even in my upper management, I have black, white, male and female. So that's one thing I wanted to do is balance it off. Are there any racial tensions within your force? No, ma'am, not that I've seen. Um, however, my hand is on just about everybody, especially around this time. 
Yeah, I was going to ask next, what what has the reaction been from within your deputy force to the shootings and killings of black men? I have met personally with um, the men and women on the road, our patrol deputies, and they have to work with one another, but they also have to work with the public. And I'm just talking to them, just trying to get a feel of where we are at this point. The guys have to realize that we are one team. There's no I in team. And we have to work together. And recently we've started to get, uh, if I may say, bogus calls in the county of shootings here and shootings there. And when we get there, there are no shootings. So, rec- what, what is the purpose behind that? Have you determined what that no, might be? No, we haven't. And, and that's the reason we're sending two to a call, whether it's an alarm or anything. That's just one measure we have in place. Um, we also have a backup system, uh, whereas when the calls come out, we have our dispatchers trace that number as, as the guys are responding because we want to know where it's coming from. Now, it might be coming from a track phone or anything like that, but we still have measures in place for our officer's safety because we don't want anything happening to them. Prior to um, an officer or, or deputy becoming a deputy, yes, is there training good enough? Is it thorough enough? I think so. I think so. Uh, we have continuous training, uh, not just firearms, uh, but we have training on how to ma- handle the mentally ill. We have training on uh, how to just deal with people. We are getting ready to uh, take on the Mississippi School for the Deaf and the Blind. We're going to have an office over there now 24 hours. And now they're willing to offer us sign language. So my guys never stop training, never stop. Have you had meetings with them? You say you talk to them one-on-one. Yes, I have. Which is great. Right. Do you have meetings with groups at a time to reinforce what policy is? I think they know. I think they know because day one, we developed our policies. And those policies came at the time, at a good time, because there were a lot of pursuits. Uh, and, and right then we jumped on that. And we have a policy for that. So, uh, yeah, I, I like to talk to them one-on-one because that way you can feel a, a person's feelings better as opposed to a group. You know, when you're talking to a group, everybody's not going to talk. But I think if you, you go to them one-on-one, you can, uh, you can get that person's innermost feelings. And then when you feel that, you can go back and ask them, well, why do you feel like that? You know, because I want my guys to tell me the truth. That way there won't be any slip-ups out there on the road. And if I think that this guy's holding some type of hostility, I would then go to the supervisor and say, listen, we need to watch this guy. As you say, you have almost half of your um, deputies are black. Yes, the crimes, or I shouldn't say crimes, the shootings we have heard about right. have been between white law enforcement mm-hmm. officers and black victims. Right. Are white officers afraid of when they stop a car and it's a black driver? Mm-hmm. Are they afraid? What, what, why, what would you say accounts for what's happened with recent shootings? I don't I wouldn't say that they are afraid. I can say that we all are afraid, whether you be white or black. I just think that we have to be careful because even when you do a traffic stop, you don't know what you're walking up on. You don't know if that person's had a good day or a bad day and wants to take it out on you. Um, So your training kicks in when the blue lights go on and you have to stay uh, calm, but you have to stay alert. You have to be on guard 
And what I like is when I do talk to them, they know this. And and as I said, I, I can brag on the guys. They they are highly trained. And we are ready for the unexpected. Hopefully we are anyway. And you said you've made some changes, you know, sending two people out instead of one people. So there have been some changes made in light of these shootings. I want to refer to one of them where there was a videotape. And, of course, one tape doesn't show all the scenes. But we heard an officer's voice after he shot the man in the car. Mm -hmm. And he sounded just panicked. He sounded almost hysterical. Which is why I asked the question, are they afraid? What are the steps that uh, a deputy takes if they're in a situation where they feel threatened? You know, it sounds like some of these officers are going off half-cocked, you know, shooting shooting first, asking questions later kind of thing. I try to instill in, in the troops that the weapon is your last resort. That's That's it. You know, if you have to turn around and run, go. You know, because I would rather tell the news what you did. Than Seriously, the run away from a scene? Nothing wrong with that. I've done it before myself. I've I never heard of that, though. Yes, ma'am. That's, you, a, that's a policy? That's not a policy. That's just common sense. Uh, that's not edged in stone. Policy is you have to follow through with the arrest. That's policy. Policy is taking down a suspect with your hands. Come along, hoes. Um, I could do that with you right now instead of drawing my gun. (laughs) I know this room is so small anyway. But, you know, the weapon is, is should be the last resort before St. Peter says come home. Hines County Sheriff Victor Mason, thank you very much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Up next, a StoryCorps conversation from Mississippi on choosing to live in the Magnolia State. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 227 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. This week, Democrats will meet in Philadelphia to nominate Hillary Clinton for president. NPR and PBS NewsHour will be there, too. We're teaming up to bring you live coverage each night of the convention. I'm Rachel Martin. Join me, Judy Woodruff, and Gwen Eiffel as we take you inside the arena and to the floor of the Democratic National Convention. It's special coverage from PBS NewsHour and NPR News. MPB Think Radio, your home for live election coverage. Melvin and Monique Davis are transplants. When moving to the South, they had a number of well-known Southern cities to choose from. In this visit on the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi, they share why they ultimately chose Jackson. My mother's from Jackson. My grandfather left me a farm here. And I always enjoyed coming to Mississippi when I was a child, mainly because I was always treated like I was a celebrity. I could do no wrong. I got anything I wanted. And I just loved coming to Mississippi. I thought it was heaven on earth. My grandmother's yard looked like a garden show. The food never stopped. She took me shopping every day. Why wouldn't somebody want to move to Mississippi? As I got older, my parents passed and my my only brother passed. I kind of was looking for more purpose in life. I worked for the Bell System, which became Verizon, for, for 20 years. And I was looking for more purpose in my life where I didn't go out and come up with ingenious solutions to mundane problems. And I wanted more out of my life than that. And I figure if I took an early retirement in my 40s, I would still have enough energy to do something else. And I really wanted to do something different in my life. 
secondarily, we have six kids, and D.C. is an extremely violent place to raise young men. They were killing two black males a night, and we had five of them, so odds weren't good. And this turns out to be a wonderful, safe place for children. From that respect, I, I never regretted it. Mainly, I wanted to move to Mississippi to get some greater purpose in my life, I guess. Did you care about what I thought about moving from D.C. to Jackson? I'm sure I asked you. Yeah, you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did but did you want to say well what my reasoning process was? Does agreed green to move? <laughs> uh, I, I thought I knew what your reasoning process was. Okay, well, well, let me just say why why I wanted to move to the south, but it was between Birmingham and Jackson. Oh, so, yes, I forgot. Yeah, that. and so we hadn't really decided which southern city we were going to move to. And you had two wonderful sets of relatives at both locations. Vastly different relatives. But vastly different. And so one was more reserved. The Mississippi family was more reserved and quiet. But the Birmingham relatives were the opposite. They were energetic. They were a lot more energetic. And you never were in doubt about where you stood with them. And so because I was from a family of non-combative people, I thought Jackson would be a better fit for us. So that's one of the reasons I chose Jackson. And because I'm a coffee lover, they had a lots of in, they have cups here, which is an independent coffee store. And so, you know, coffee always gets me. So that's why I thought it was a good idea to move to Jackson, Mississippi. Do you think it's still a good idea is the question? I do think it's a really good idea. I think that we have been able to build a really strong network, primarily because we opened a barbecue business and did a lot of community advocacy work. But the barbecue business part of it was not my idea. Well, I like it because I believe it made us better people. Well, yeah, if you're going to go through the whole moralistic thing of growing and, you know, moving out of your comfort zone, then yes. But I don't want to be pushed. Well, you know, I have a thing with um, rules and compliance and mm-hmm. not being told what to do. I don't do, like being told what to do. Uh, even though you need to be told what to do. Need to be told what to do. Oh, there is something my feminist bone, I don't know, just something... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Need want to be told what to do. Oh, that's like even it. worse. <laughs> that's even worse. Yeah, you're, you're not supposed to like it. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 227 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. The profile of the first-time homebuyer is changing. They're doing it later, and a lower percentage of them are eventually doing it. And that could be a big deal for the real estate industry. A report on those changes and what they mean, plus the latest from the Democratic Convention in Philadelphia. Later, on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Revenues at Mississippi casinos were up in June, leading some who followed the industry to hope for continued good business the rest of the summer. Jay McDaniel is with the Mississippi Gaming Commission. He says Gulf Coast casinos generally see more of a boost in summer than river casinos. McDaniel speaks with MPB's Evelina Burnett. Statewide, uh, our year-to-date June numbers are up uh, just about 1% um, statewide, so that's good. But that's primarily being carried by the coastal market. The coastal region is up 5%, um, while Chinooka and River region are actually down 3 to 4%. So June by itself was up just a little bit. Again, the coastal region was up about, um, I think it was right about a million from last year. It was 96.6 for June 2016, while it was 95.8 for June 2015, and that was the coastal market. The lower river region, which is Greenville, Vicksburg, Natchez, uh, was almost even for June. It was right at 23.8 million as compared to 23.8 million last year. And then the Tunica region was actually up just a little bit for June. They did 55.5 million, whereas last June they did 53.8 million. June was a little better statewide compared to last year. June was a little better statewide than um, the first thing that you mentioned initially um, is um, was that the the sort of the first six months. That's right. The year to date for the calendar year of 2016, we are up about one percent ahead of where we were calendar year to date this point last year. I see. Okay, and 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 that's what's mostly being carried by the um, by the coast. Is that that's right? correct. While June numbers were good, um, our year-to-date numbers, the coast is up about five percent, but the other, the river region, is down close to four percent. So, uh, year-to-date, so the river region is actually down a little bit, but the, because of the coastal region being up, we're up statewide. I see. Okay. And um, do you have any sense of um, how this the rest of the summer might look? Um, I was thinking maybe June might give you a, a sort of a, a hint of where the summer is going. Yeah, the, um, the coastal region obviously usually sees a benefit for the summer months, uh, more so than the river. So typically July and August are good months. Fourth uh, of July, they had a big concert down there on the coast. So we're hoping to see good July numbers. Um, as well as August. Since June was good, we anticipate that July and August will be too. As for the river regions, I I don't know what we'll see there. Uh, usually vacation traffic does do a little better in the summertime. So, uh, But I don't know that it'll be better than it was last summer. I don't see really anything going on this year that should show us a big increase in the river as compared to last year. But well, the coastal region has one extra casino uh, that it did not have last year. And so far, the weather's been pretty good this year, so um, we anticipate good numbers for the rest of the summer. And um, Tunica being up is is different, too, from what I hear most months. Is that right? It is. They, they had a good June again, but I will caution that sometimes uh, if you just look at the month, it can, it can skew because of how the weekends fall. So while they did have a good June, um, if you look at it quarterly and, again, year-to-date, they are down. So I... I don't know if, if anything really happened in June to see. I don't know if we're going to see any kind of trend up just because they had a good June. We're kind of cautious on that region. So, uh, But you're right. Typically, each month has been worse than the year before. Uh, we've kind of That's kind of borne out the first six uh, months of the year. So it was good to at least have one month that was up a little bit. MPB's Evelina Burnett with Jay McDaniel of the State Gaming Commission on Casino Revenues thus far this summer. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. 
then at 10 in legal terms, and at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, you can listen to episodes of Mississippi Edition on our website, mpbonline.org, or download our free MPB multimedia app and listen to the show wherever you like and whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, offering hybrid doctorates, K-12 leadership, higher education, and math education. Combine online and face-to-face courses to graduate in three years. Details at education.olemiss.edu. It's Marketplace Tech for Tuesday the 26th. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. From Russia with Love is the title of the James Bond.